testimonies throughout Scripture. We are, uh, last week we finished up our look at testimonies in the Old Testament, though certainly we could have, we could have gone through several more uh, throughout the course of uh, the Old Testament. There are testimony after testimony after testimony of, how, of individuals expressing what God has done in their life. But we turn our attention this morning to the New Testament and we begin with a remarkable woman. And really, maybe the most incredible miracle in all of Scripture. We begin this week with the testimony of Mary um, and the work that God did in her life as she became the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so excited about to hear from her testimony this morning. You know, really, all of Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, in a way, could be seen as the testimony of Mary. Um, we gather from historical sources, as well as just the way that Luke writes in these first two chapters, that they are based off of Mary's own uh, memories of this time. And so, really, you could take the, the first two chapters of Luke and see them as her testimony. But this morning, we're going to specifically look at verses 46 through 55 as Mary sings a song of testimony, a praise, much in the way that we saw Hannah and Moses and others do um, in the Old Testament. And so if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we, we come to you humbly, Lord, recognizing that you are the God of all the universe, that you are the God of creation, that you are the holy God who is just and mighty. And so we come to you humbly, but we also come to you knowing that you are a God of mercy and of grace and of love, that you are good. Father, I pray that you would remind us of those things this morning. Lord, that we would hear from your word and that it would encourage us, that it would stir in us great memories of how you have acted in our lives and that we would desire to testify to that. Father, I pray. Lord, I pray if there is one here that does not know you, Lord, that they have not put their faith and trust in you, that this morning, Lord, that they would hear the word, your word, your invitation to them to know you. 
Lord, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Many of you probably already know Mary's story, but it's good for us to refresh it just a little bit and to have a little bit of background of why Mary gives the testimony here that she does. The first part of that is to understand the idea of the Messiah. This is an old concept in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, if you were with us a few weeks ago, we looked at the testimony of Hannah and her song of praise and her song of testimony about the birth of Samuel, her son. And in many ways, if you were to take the two songs of Hannah and the song of Mary and put them next to each other, you're going to see a lot of similar themes between those two. But at the end of Hannah's testimony, at the end of her song, she talks about God's anointed one, that God would raise the horn of his anointed one. And that phrase in the original language is the first time that we see the phrase that later would be translated as the Messiah, this anointed one of God who would come. Now, as the Old Testament, as God continues to reveal more and more about who this Messiah is and what this Messiah would do, the Jewish community began to understand him as an individual that would come, that would sit on a political throne, who would cast off physical um, oppression and bondage and restore Israel to political and military and wealth glory, um, to renew what they had once had under David and under Solomon. And so that's how they viewed the Messiah. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. Hundreds of years they waited for God to fulfill this prophecy and this promise of the Messiah. We come then to this wonderful lady, young lady named Mary. In chapter 1, if, or in uh, the first part of chapter 1, if you want to flip back, it's probably on the back page of what you're, where you're at now. Mary is visited by an angel named Gabriel. And Gabriel has a very distinct proclamation and message for her. He says in verse 28 of chapter 1, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So Gabriel comes and he makes this grand announcement to this young lady, Mary. And he tells her, you are going to give birth to God's anointed one. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah. It's an incredible proclamation, the fulfillment of so much prophecy. And Mary, to her credit, though she is at different times described as being afraid, at times she is confused about exactly how this is going to happen. 
considering the fact that she is a virgin, though she doesn't fully grasp all of the nuances of what she is being told, Mary, at the end of it all, trusts that what God said is going to happen is going to happen. And she just declares, I am the servant of the Lord. She says, here I am. Side note, so many times when God calls us to obedience and He proclaims something in our life, our natural reaction as human beings is to say, how can that be? And God's response is, trust me. He says, I'm telling you to do this. I'm telling this is going to happen. Just go for it. But we disobey because we want more details. And in disobeying, we miss blessing. Mary, we, we should in many ways hold Mary as an example of one who stands before the Lord Almighty and is told something that doesn't honestly make a whole lot of physical sense and is in many ways even frightening and says, here I am. In fact, Elizabeth, here in a moment, we're going to see her reaction to all of this. And Elizabeth's reaction primarily is, blessed is the one who believed the word of God. That's, that's the praise that Elizabeth gives. So Mary, there's this proclamation to Mary. There's an interesting part of this message as well, though. Gabriel goes on. And he says in verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth, some of your translations, by the way, may say cousin, um, but the original language is a little bit more ambiguous to that, but she was a relative of some sort. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. God in his great wisdom does not call Mary to go through this experience alone. He He had already, in his prophecy and design, said that there would be an individual that would come before Christ and prepare the way, to announce the way of the Lord. And in God's wisdom, he makes them both of the same family. The one that would become who we know as John the Baptist is going to be the son of Elizabeth. And then Mary is going to give birth, of course, to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But they are going to walk these pregnancies together, at least for several months. Can you imagine? Put yourself in Mary's shoes for a while. Mary is a young young lady. She is engaged. An angel shows up and says, you're going to have a baby, though you are a virgin. God bless you. Mary is got to be looking around her community and going, no one is going to believe me. No one is going to believe that I'm having a child as a virgin. That sounds insane, even in probably her own mind, if she had not seen the angel. She is going to be ostracized. She's going to be talked about. She's going to be gossiped about. And in God's wisdom and His grace, Gabriel tells her, hey, your relative Elizabeth that everyone said couldn't have a baby, I've went and visited them too. And God has done a miracle in her life as well. And she's going to have a baby too. And so Mary does what most of us would do when we find ourselves in a difficult situation that we don't quite understand, and she goes to see the one person that might. And praise the Lord, it's a family member. And so she goes to visit Elizabeth, 
She makes the trek to that other town so that she may spend some time with her, with her cousin or her aunt, we're not sure. Someone who might understand what she is going through. And when she arrives at their home, we see the response of Elizabeth. And it's worth, worth us looking at. It says in verse 39, In those days Mary arose and went in haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when, I, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth, through the Holy Spirit, understands that this baby that Mary has is not just some baby, that it is the promised Messiah. She says there that the mother of her Lord is coming to visit her, and she is filled with excitement. And it's not just the, of what God has done in her life, but she's excited about what God has done in Mary's life. And she begins to proclaim that and, and to, to praise the Lord and to be excited about it and to encourage Mary. It's a wonderful thing. And what happens is, is that as Elizabeth gives this praise and gives this encouragement and shows this excitement that we get the response of Mary. You see, that's the normal way things happen, is that when we begin to talk about things that excite us, that other people begin to talk about things that excite them. And in particular, when we begin to praise God for the good that He has done, when we begin to praise God for the things that He has accomplished, when we begin to talk about Him, it's amazing how other individuals who have experienced God in their lives begin to do the same thing. They begin to testify. They begin to praise the Lord. This is why we, as when we gather together, <coughs> excuse me, when we gather together as believers, we should talk about what God's doing in our life, that it may encourage others to do the same, that it may encourage others to worship His name, others to testify and to praise. So we have this response of Elizabeth, <coughs> and it leads to the response of Mary. Mary's response, in many ways, could be summarized in the simple statement, God is good. God is good. Look with me just at the first few verses that we read earlier. In verse 46, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and, his ho and holy is his name. Mary's opening to her song of testimony is to say, God is good. He's good. Mary looks at herself and she understands her position in the world. She's from a poor town in kind of the middle of nowhere of Israel from a 
poor family as we read the context of some other things that surround her. And Mary's looking at herself and going, I'm no one special. I'm no one special. And yet God has been good to me to honor me with this incredible miracle, to honor me with being the one that's going to give birth to the Messiah. And she's just like proclaiming, he's good. And my, my knowledge, my prayer, but my, my knowing is that there are many of us sitting in this room this morning that we could proclaim the same thing. That we can proclaim God is good whether He has provided for us, as we saw in the testimony last week with Fred of providing housing, or whether it has been in protection, as we saw in the testimony this morning, or whether it's been in our marriage, or whether it's been in our children, or whether it's been in our jobs, or a whole host of things, we can proclaim God is good. But even more than that, as we spoke with the children with this morning, we can proclaim His goodness because He has saved us. Because we have a relationship with Him. This weekend, Fred and I had the, the pleasure of going to a conference together. And uh, one of the things that stuck out with me, just a great reminder, is that we should never, ever get over the fact that God has shown mercy to us. When we look at the writings of Paul, Paul proclaims more than once, I am the chief of sinners. I am the worst of sinners. I, I have done horrible things. And yet God has saved me. God has had mercy upon me. This man who had persecuted the church, who had overseen and approved of the stoning of Stephen, the first man to give his life for the faith. This man who had imprisoned who knows how many Christians. He says, the Lord saved me. The Lord got a hold of me. God is good. And maybe you're sitting there this morning and you know your own testimony. You know the things in, in your life, the way you were beforehand, or even just the, the sin even that you've maybe committed since your salvation. And you would say, I don't know how God can forgive someone that has done what I have done, but He has saved me. He desired a relationship with me. If nothing else, if we have no home, if we have no food, if we have no protection, if we have no other blessing, as a believer in Christ, we should proclaim He is good to save. He is good. Mary not only proclaims, though, that He is good to her, He proclaims that she, He is good and merciful to others. In verse 50 it says, And His mercy is for, is for those who fear Him, from generation to generation. Mary goes on to say, not is, not is he just good for me, but he is merciful. He is good to generation after generation after generation to those who fear him. Now that word fear there, we probably need to, need to talk about just a little bit because in our language we hear the word fear and we think scared. Those are that are scared of God. That's not what this word is trying to convey to us. Here, the word fear conveys better the deepest respect that we can think of 
for us to understand that this is we are talking about the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the provider of all things. That we are talking about the holy, perfect, righteous judge of all. That we are talking about the one that one day each one of us will stand before him and give account of our lives, of every thought we've ever had, of every deed that we've ever done. We, that is the God that we're talking about. And there is a need for us not to be flippant with him. I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and use the analogy of from Chronicles of Narnia. If any of you have ever watched those movies or read those books, in the book, C.S. Lewis portrays Jesus Christ as a lion named Aslan. And there's a part in the story where one of the children that is in the land of Narnia asks another character, is he a tame lion? Is he a safe lion? And the character responds with kind of a chuckle and says, no, no, he's not safe, but he is good. He is good. When we approach a holy and just God, we need to have a proper understanding that we approach the most powerful being in all of the universe who judges rightly all souls. But let us not forget that He is good. That He is loving. Mary says, He is merciful to all who trust, all who follow Him. That means that there is also another category, right? Notice she says, to all who fear Him. That means there's also a category of individuals who do not fear Him. Who still face God, not as friend, not as adopted child, but there is another category of individuals that face Him as judge, that come to Him as the guilty. We all, at one time or another, have looked at God, maybe not totally consciously, but we have understood a time in our lives when we have said, I want to be in charge. I'm king. I'm queen. And we have, at the very least with our actions, declared to God, I do not love you, I do not care, I do not want you. We have committed treason and rebellion, and with that comes consequence. The amazing thing is that God sees that, and His desire is for you not to stay that way. His desire is not for you to stay a rebel. His desire is not for you to stay as one who has committed treason. His desire is for you not to suffer the consequence of those actions. His desire is for you to know Him, to know His mercy, to know His love, and to know life eternal in a perfect place. It's interesting that as we understand God's goodness and His mercy, that Mary continues to another level. She says in verse 51, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of, of humble estate. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary proclaims that not only is God good, not only is he merciful, but that he is strong to save. She talks of his strength to save, of what he has already accomplished, not only in her life, but in the lives of others. I want you to, to picture this for, with me for a moment. Imagine that you are on a cliff and you are holding on by your fingertips and to let go would mean certain death. But you are not able on your own to pull yourself up. You're not able on your own to, to have enough strength to pull yourself back onto safe ground. And a friend comes along. And a friend sees you in your time of crisis and their desire for you is what's best. They want good for you. They have mercy upon you. They want you on safe ground. And so they grab a hold of your arms and they begin to pull you and, and desire for you to come up with them. But imagine in our story for a moment that they are unable. Imagine that despite all of the adrenaline throwing, flowing through them, imagine for a moment, despite all of their goodness and their love and their, their hopes for you, for safety, that they are simply unable to lift you. In fact, in all of their pulling and their straining and their, their desire, that they have actually made things worse. At that moment, as you're clinging on to that, that edge, you appreciate their goodness. You appreciate their mercy. You appreciate their desire. But what you really need is someone who is strong. What you really need is someone who is able to do something. You see, what Mary proclaims in her testimony this morning is God is good. God is merciful. God has desires for you to be in a place of safety with Him. But He is not just good. He is not just merciful. He is strong. He is able to save. He is able to pull you up off of that cliff and to set you on good ground. You see, Christ did not simply see you as a rebel or as one that had committed treason against him, as one that had made mistakes and broken the law of God. He did not simply see you in that state and leave you there hoping that you would get better. He stepped into history. You see, the Messiah was not who, not who the Jewish people thought he would be. When he came the first time, Christ intentions were not to set up an earthly kingdom and throw off the physical bonds of oppression. When Christ came the first time, he dealt with something much more serious. He, was, he came to set up a heavenly kingdom. He came to throw off the oppression of sin and of our, the consequences of hell that follow it. He came to save us, not physically, but something much more important to save us spiritually, and he was able to do it. Christ was able to do what we could not. He lived a perfect life, not deserving of death, not deserving of any consequence. He lived perfectly, and then he went to the cross 
and voluntarily went through the the torture and the death that he found there. And then three days later, he did a magnificent thing. Not only was he able to pay our consequence, but he was able to defeat death in his resurrection three days later. He is is strong enough, friends. He is strong enough to save. Think about it this way. Imagine that a man murders a family member. Man murders someone he is rightly convicted, justly convicted, and he is put on death row. Now, we've all heard stories of families coming and forgiving that individual. We've all heard stories even of families begging the courts to spare his life. But I don't believe I've ever heard of a story where the family member steps up and says, I will die for him. I will die for him. I know that I have not done what is wrong, but so that he may live, take me. That's what Christ did. We had rightly brought upon ourselves death. We had rightly brought upon ourselves consequences. And Christ stood before a holy God and said, take me. Oh, that we would understand the level of the goodness and the mercy and the strength of God that Mary proclaims in these words. Not only that, but she proclaims his faithfulness. She proclaims his faithfulness. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. It's not just simply that God is good. Not just simply that God is merciful. Not just simply, and I'm saying simply like these are light things. These are huge, deep things. But he is faithful. You see, if someone is good and merciful and strong, that is fantastic. But if you cannot trust them, then there's a gap there. If you cannot trust them, though they may have the best of intentions, though they may be the most forgiving person that you know, though they may be the strongest person you know, if you cannot trust them, then there is a problem. Mary says you do not have to worry about that with God. That His promises always come full. When Christ tells His disciples on multiple occasions, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. I'm not going to stay dead. In many ways, the disciples themselves tell us we didn't get it. We didn't understand that. Not until it was over. And who would? Who would understand a promise like that? For someone to say to you, hey, I'm going to die next week, but don't worry. Three days later, I'm going to come back. It'll be okay. How would you trust someone like that? And yet, there they stand on Resurrection Sunday and, before, and they are faced with the reality of His resurrection that He is no longer dead. And they're like, huh, He doesn't keep His promise. Thomas says, I won't believe it until I touch the scars. And when He does, can you imagine? It's like, he's just like, oh my Lord. Oh my goodness. 
How much more then, if we believe in a God, if we believe in a Savior who can keep his promise about a resurrection, how much more then should we be able to trust him when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And one day, we're going to be with him for all of eternity in a place with no more tears, in a place of perfection, not touched by the air of sin. He is faithful. He is good. He is merciful. He is strong to save. And he is trustworthy. You can believe it when he tells you that he cares for you. You can believe it when he tells you that he desires life and life abundantly. You can believe it when he says, I know what's best, even when best is not even. You can believe him when he says, I will save you. He is faithful. This morning, do you see yourself in Mary? The testimony of Mary? Has God been good to you? Can you stand and proclaim this morning, he's been good to me. Let me tell you of the ways that he has been good to me. This morning, have you experienced his mercy? Would you say with Paul, I am the worst of sinners? I would hate for, you know, Paul is in an interesting situation that Paul's acts, many of his most horrible moments of his life that he, he did exactly the wrong thing are recorded for all of history in a book. Can you imagine if the worst decisions that you've ever made in your life, the things that you hope and wish that no one would ever know, were written for all to see? You think about those things, would you say with Christ, I am the worst of sinners, but can you proclaim with Him, He has saved me? I have known His forgiveness. I have known His mercy. I have known His salvation. Would you say that with Mary? Have you known his strength? Have you known the power of the resurrection that Paul talks about? Have you known the Spirit in your own life? Have you known his power in different ways as you've walked with him? Do you know his strength? Are you trusting in his word? Are you like Mary who stands before an angel of God with a message of, you're going to have a child even though you're a virgin, not quite understanding even how that's totally possible and saying, here I am. I am a servant of the Lord. May it be as, as you have said. That's not always easy. We're talking with the youth on Wednesday night. It's not always easy. It's not always easy to understand that what God says is best or sorry, fifth and sixth grade, what God says is best when it goes against everything that culture is saying to us. It's not always easy to trust. It's not always easy to have faith and to trust when he says, I want you to go here, but he doesn't tell you what's next. It's not always easy to trust. But will you take him at his word? Are you following him? even when it seems hard? Do you see yourself in Mary this morning? Maybe you sit here and you would say, absolutely not. I've never experienced God's goodness. I've never experienced His mercy. I've never experienced His strength in my life. 
I don't trust Him. This morning, Christ extends an invitation to you. You see, He died for you. He laid down His life for you. This morning, would you, would you come to Him and say, I want to follow you. To experience His goodness and His mercy and His strength and His faithfulness is not hard. We simply have a conversation with God. We call it prayer, but it's a conversation with God. To say, I know that I have walked my own way. I know I've tried to do it my own way. I know that I've made mistakes. We call it, the Bible calls it sin. I know that I've made mistakes. I know that I've sinned. Please forgive me. To say, I believe you. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for me to take my penalty. I believe that you rose from the grave. I want to follow you. I want to go where you want me to go. I want you to do what you want me to do. promise you that you will have that conversation with God today, that you will know his goodness, that you will know his mercy, that you will know his strength, and that you will know his faithfulness throughout your life. It may not be always easy, but I promise you it's what's best. I pray that you would have that conversation this morning. This morning, if you can say, yes, I I can hear myself in Mary's words. I know that God has been good. I know that He's been merciful. I know that He's been strong. I know that I can trust Him. Then this morning, you know what I'm going to tell you. Who are you telling? What is your story? Some of you are already getting tired of this, and I don't care. (laughs) What is your story? If you have experienced the goodness of God, then remember the, what has become our mantra over the last seven weeks, that those who experience God naturally want to tell others about that. What is your story? What has God done in your life? What miracles has He performed? How, what is the salvation that you have experienced? Do you know your story? This is why we're encouraging each other to write down our testimony so that we may remember these things. And then who are you telling it to? Who are you telling it to? Each one of us has a personal testimony. God has worked in our life in unique ways, but it was never meant to be private. It was always meant to be told. Who are you telling it to? Are you taking advantage of those moments when someone sits with you at the lunch table or at Dairy Queen or someone is talking with you and they're saying... I'm struggling with this. I'm dealing with this in my life. Who are you telling, taking that 90 seconds to say, hey, here's what God's done for me? Who are you telling it to? And then lastly, who are you praying for? God, in His great wisdom and great grace, has made the decision to use us as instruments of the kingdom to tell other people about Jesus Christ. But ultimately, it's Him who changes them. Ultimately, it's Him who saves, not us. That doesn't lessen our responsibility to share the gospel. It doesn't lessen our responsibility to share our testimony, to talk about what God's done in our lives. But ultimately, we understand we need Him to change their hearts. We need Him to save. Who are you praying for? What is your story? Who are you telling it to? And what are you praying for? This morning, I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're going to have a time of response. 
My guess is, is that you fall, well, I know that you fall in one of two camps. Either you are here this morning and you have never experienced God's goodness, you've never experienced His strength, His mercy, His faithfulness, then this morning I extend that invitation to you. Come and know Him. Have a, come and know a relationship with Him. Experience His salvation. Know what it means to not have guilt and shame. Know what it means to live life abundantly this morning. If you'll have that conversation that I discussed earlier with God, then I would encourage you, tell someone. You can come tell me. You can come tell one of our folks, but we want to help you to know what the next step is. What do we do now that we've known him? This morning, the other camp is you have experienced the goodness and the greatness of God. Then I would challenge you, who is it that you're supposed to talk to about this week? Will you make a commitment? Lord, if you open the door, I will share. If you open the door, I will talk to someone about the goodness of God in my life. I at least owe you that. Will you make that commitment this morning? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, I pray that as we get ready to respond here this morning and as we sing uh, this song of, of worship to you, Lord, that you would flood our brains with all of the amazing ways, Lord, that many of us have experienced your goodness, that many of us have experienced your strength and your mercy and your faithfulness, Lord, that it would influence our song, Lord, that it would influence our, our voices, that it would influence, Lord, how we go out of this place, Lord, that we would glorify you. Father, I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that it would give us a great encouragement, Lord, that we would know the joy of our salvation, the joy of our Lord, Lord, that we could not stop smiling. Father, I pray, pray for the one here, Lord, that, that they know that you are speaking to them, Lord, that they would understand, Lord, that this morning that you are speaking to them, that you have been working in their lives. And up until this point, they've never had a relationship with you. But this morning, they know, I need that goodness. I need that mercy. I need that strength. I want to follow him, Lord, that this morning, that they would have that conversation with you. And then that they would have the courage to tell someone. That they would know you're who you are this morning in a new way. Father, we pray these things, giving all glory and honor to you. In the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, amen.